relationships are not just a nice thing for people to have. They are essential to our biology. We are, you know, we are like bees. We are not like lizards in the desert who only tip, you know, we, we stumble across another lizard. Oh, hi, mate, and then go on our merry way and never see them again. We need our hives. Yeah, we're men. We need our, we need our hives. And if we don't have that, we can't function properly. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview thoughtful, inspiring, and influential guests who are making their mark on the world and contributing to the common good. Making your mark, big or small, is creating a legacy, and it's one of the proven ways we can age with vibrance and energy. And Zestful Aging podcast is my legacy. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. Our lovely music is courtesy of Judy Banker, who was a previous guest on Zestful Aging. Find out more about Judy at her website, judybanker.com. And to find out more about this podcast, my web courses, and other offerings, hop on over to zestfulaging.com. I know that everyone is feeling really stressed and anxious right now. We're all unsettled and feel out of control. So I created a free download for you for maintaining mental health based on my 30 years as a psychotherapist. Um, Just go to zestfulaging.com and it is all yours. Well, as usual, I've got my little loyal Jack Russell Sparky right by my side. So let's begin. I am really looking forward to our interview today. It could not be more relevant. Uh, We'll be talking to Tara Haley, who's a science and health journalist who recently wrote about the emotional roller coaster and stress so many of us are experiencing during this pandemic. I shared her article, Your Surge Capacity is Depleted. It's Why You Feel Awful, with so many of my clients and also in my monthly newsletter, The Zest. And it really resonated with so many of us, and the article went viral. At six months in, many of us feel like we should be used to this new normal, but that's not actually how it works. Tara is here to talk about what we learned from the three experts she interviewed for the article about surge capacity, ambiguous loss, and a resilience bank account. And she's been writing about infectious disease, medical research, and mental health for a decade. And Tara is also a TED presenter. Welcome to the show, Tara. Hi, thanks very much. I'm really excited to speak with you. And before we went live, I was telling you about some of my personal indications that things were not quite uh, running at, uh, all the cylinders were not running uh, correctly. And, um, you know, we sort of shared a laugh about how even if you know it and understand, you know, these concepts, you're still not immune to, to, the environment, uh, this just toxic stress environment. And I'd like to just start out with this term that you use in your article, ambiguous loss. Can you explain a little bit why this is different than regular loss? Yeah, the ambiguous loss is a term coined by Pauline Boss. She was one of the experts that I interviewed. Um, 
uh, she's a professor at the University of Minnesota, a professor emerita actually, and she's done extensive research and writing on this for decades. Uh, she started out studying uh, soldiers that were missing in action in Vietnam and the families that were left behind. And of course, that's a, a very difficult kind of situation where you don't really know if the person that went over to Vietnam actually died in battle or died some other way or is alive living somewhere. I mean, there was a whole sort of genre of 80s films that focused on that very, you know, indefiniteness, um, that, that very uncertainty. And that kind of is, in a nutshell, that's what ambiguous loss is. It's where you don't actually, you, you've lost them in the sense that they're not here with you. That whatever you've lost is not with you, but you don't know if it's permanently lost or not. It's unresolved. Mm -hmm. A normal loss is, you know, someone you care about dies. And they, you know for a fact that they are dead. There is a body. They are buried. There is a marker that you can go to and visit. It's still very painful. But there is resolution. Even if there were unresolved issues, there is resolution in the fact that there is no question that this person is no longer alive. Ambiguous loss is where the loss itself is less clear-cut. And what we're seeing in this pandemic, it's not people that we're losing. For, well, we are losing plenty of people. That's part of the problem. But um, the, the ambiguous loss is the whole loss of life that has occurred as a result of the pandemic. And that is a reality no matter which country you live in across the world right now because, you know, just the very fact that international flights are so restricted everywhere. And even if, you know, regardless of whether you are completely locked down as our family continues to be or whether you're a family that lives in an area where you're, you're able to go out a little bit more often or whether you're one of those people who feels young and healthy and doesn't interact with enough other people that you feel comfortable going out to restaurants that are open – no matter where you fall, life is not normal right now. There, there's mm -hmm. nothing that's normal, which means you've lost what normalcy was just six months ago, or at least what, what normal was six months ago. <laughs> I'd argue that in the United States it wasn't normal six months ago mm -hmm. either, but, mm -hmm. but it's so right. much worse now. And so that, that loss is kind of, you know, how do you encapsulate everything that we've lost? I would sit here and just make a list, but the list would never end. You know, I... I was just thinking this morning about how I really wanted my kids to improve in their swimming lessons. And, oh, you know, one thing I could do is get my older son, you know, into a swim team soon. And I thought, wait, I don't know when I'll be able to enroll him in a swim team. Like, mm -hmm. I, I really, like, will it be a year from now? Two years from now? I have mm -hmm. no idea. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that's a loss that I didn't even know I had because it hadn't occurred to me yet. And that's normally a, you know, things, activities like, gee, I wonder if our kids should do X. It's sort of a normal parenting thought, whether you act on it or not. But all of that is on hold right now. Um, I miss I, coffee yeah. shops. I miss, mm. gosh, going, being able to walk anywhere without a mask. You know, I can't walk into CVS, n not because they require me to wear a mask, but because I'm no fool and I'm going to wear a mask. <laughs> That's so, right. That's um, right. You know, there's just, there's so many things we've lost. Um, and, you know, things that, Christ, uh, <laughs> um We've got uh, Hollywood, you know, movies are not being made right now. New music is, concerts are not being held right now. Plays are not being put on. There's just so much. 
And I think what you're saying is also it's not a matter of hang on because come 2021, everything will go back, right? The ambiguous no. part is like, and um, I had I was a, the dermatologist and they said, well, let's schedule you for next year. When When's a good time? And I, I said, <laughs> you, t- you tell me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Although, you know, it's funny. There have been some interesting gains during this time as well. Um, I just finished a story about multiple myeloma, which is a type of blood cancer, and it's a it's a fairly rare um, blood cancer, um, but it's one of those where there's been rapid movement in the different therapeutics that are coming out. There are tons and tons of options, and the options could actually get overwhelming. But because it's such a specialized type of cancer, and the field of research is moving so quickly, if you don't talk to a myeloma specialist, you might miss things. Um, you know, your, your local hematologist, oncologist can be very helpful, but you really ought to see a specialist at least once, even if your care is being managed by someone local. And that used to be a hardship because this person who's just been newly diagnosed would have to travel, you know, unless you mm. already lived in a major city, let's say you, mm-hmm. you live in, you know, the middle of Wyoming, you might have to travel five hours down to Denver to find a specialist. Mm-hmm. Well, everything is telehealth now. That's right. So those individuals who need to meet with specialists like that could meet with the top end specialists across the country because everything's telehealth. I mean, that's, that's a small balm in the midst of everything we've mm-hmm. lost, but, mm-hmm. but I do think there are small things that we can appreciate. Um, all the cancellations of medical conferences that would normally be held, you know, there's a huge carbon footprint that's not occurring right now. Oh, yes. And they say that with airplanes, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there there are things Mm -hmm. that we can look for, but those silver linings are very, very faint. And it's not to say that we haven't lost a tremendous amount. And like you said, we don't know when we're getting it back. And some Mm -hmm. of it we might not ever get back. I mean, one of the things that's difficult for me, I have a 10-year-old and a 6-year-old. They're never going to be 10 and 6 again. So Mm -hmm. the things I might want them to do at 10 and 6, you know, we can't do if we can't do it we can't do it right the windows closed yeah and so you know I'm curious about grief then and how how the people listening might understand how they can think about this differently in a way that might be beneficial because what I'm finding and 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 your article pretty much uh, uh, stated this so eloquently is people are saying, what's wrong with me? You know, my clients are saying, oh, you know, it's not that bad. I kind of got used to it. Some things are better. I don't love it. And why am I so unmotivated? Why am I so uh, tired? That's what I hear all the time. I'm tired and unmotivated. So what can you tell them um, to help them be perhaps more understanding um, with themselves? I think the most important thing is to name it, name what you've lost and acknowledge it. I think what a lot of us forget, if you had someone in your life, I won't say a spouse or a child, someone that close, but let's say that you had a good friend that you saw every now and then or, or a coworker who passed away you would six months later still feel that mm-hmm. if you, you know, if, if it was a coworker that you went out to lunch with frequently and you walk past the desk where they used to work, you, after six months of them having passed away unexpectedly, 
you wouldn't be over that. I mean, you wouldn't think about it every single day and you'd be able to function, but there would be some days when you'd walk past their desk and you might just burst into tears Mm -hmm. and that would be normal. And I think what we're forgetting right now is that we have lost so much, but we don't even, we don't consciously sit and think about it. And if you don't name it and and acknowledge what you've lost, it's harder for you to accept that you're grieving something that you've lost. You don't even realize you're grieving. And if you don't Mm -hmm. realize you're grieving, then you can't understand where your feelings are coming from. So it's, I guess it's sort of like inadvertent denial in a way. It's it's not the classic denial where it's no, no, I know I refuse to believe it. It's Mm -hmm. more like you, you just haven't, it hasn't, you haven't reached awareness yet. And I think that's one reason the article struck a chord with so many people is it gave names to things Mm -hmm. that people were experiencing that they had not had previous experience with and when once they had a name it normalized it it helped them realize they weren't crazy they weren't um weak they weren't you know losing their minds they weren't you know suddenly becoming incompetent that they were actually part of a universal experience that we're all tired and gosh, the tired thing. I, I just text messaged a friend of mine the other day and, um, I don't know what the language rule is on here, so I'll just use a euphemism, but I I am so effing tired of being effing tired. (laughs) And she said, yes, I mean, it's, and I think it's, we don't realize that, um, grieving requires energy. And compensating for the way things have changed requires energy. Yes. And just little things in the back of your mind. Um, we need to get flu shots. And I had to remember not just to call the doctor for the flu shot like I normally would for my kids, but to call them and say, hey, are you doing the drive through and when is that? And, and you know, all the coordination. Mm-hmm. That requires energy. And we have a hundred little things like that each day that are slightly different than they used to be. And mm-hmm. each one of those uses a couple extra bits of uh, energy. And so, you know, then there's just that background grief that's going on under the surface, sort of simmering. And, and, and I was going to say, you know, there's background grief and I see this is so layered you know, some of my clients and I'll sort of share a little joke like, well, we got 45 minutes. Where do you want to start? And it's not even necessarily their personal, emotional makeup or their own trauma, but we've got COVID, which is all, you know, the challenges that you've laid out. We've got an election that is completely mind-boggling in terms of what's going on um and then we've got you know the west coast burning and we've got uh you know temperatures we've never seen before it really feels like there's nowhere to turn it feels apocalyptic (laughs) it it really does it really does mm -hmm. i think um we've got a couple things going on in addition to our own grief we are dealing with compassion fatigue and empathy fatigue most Mm -hmm. decent people care about other people um the the extent to which you can care about them varies but i have friends on the west coast and i'm worried about them um and so you know that that requires energy as well even if i'm trying not to focus on it um the election goodness i'm more afraid of the election right now than i am of the virus and i have I have conditions that would make the virus almost certainly deadly for me. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the election right now terrifies me mm-hmm. because we have a president who refuses to even 
say unequivocally to you know on public television mm-hmm. that or national television that he will agree to a, a you know a peaceful yes, transfer peaceful. of power, which is yes. the you know that's a, such a core part of our democracy. But we've also watched this person dismantle so many aspects mm-hmm. of our democracy over the past four years, and it's just kept building and building and building. We're tired of that too. I mean, just the fear of what's going to happen in November. Is it, is there going to be violence and riots no matter what the outcome is? Mm-hmm. I think we have valid reasons to be concerned about that, and that requires energy too. Yeah, there's a depth of fear here that is so, you know, you use the word apocalypse. It, it really is like, in my language, like this fear of annihilation where it's this isn't inconvenient it's not like oh that's unfortunate and i'm sad about it it's like you know how is my world going to look and is it a world that i want to live in i worry about it for my kids like i said i have two small kids and all i can think of is goodness what kind of legacy are we leaving them with Mm -hmm. um one of the things i think it was ann mastin the one who discussed um uh, surge capacity in my article, she referred to this as this unprecedented disaster, this on you know unfolding disaster. And I think um, here, here was she said we're having a, a normal reaction to a pretty severe and ongoing unfolding cascading disaster. Mm-hmm. And and that's what it is. It's just a disaster that it's a train wreck. You're just watching the train. Yeah, wreck. but here's the thing: it's a train wreck where you you don't know how many cars are in the train because Mm -hmm. every time you think you've seen the latest crash another car comes crashing down Mm -hmm. that's right it's like an endless train (laughs) it is and yeah that's exactly it and that's what I've been really struck by is just when you think it can't get worse yeah that's not something you want to say now (laughs) right you know it's as you think okay this is we have really hit rock bottom in terms of the loss of dignity and just um the the mental health concerns uh yeah here with trump we've really we've really hit bottom he just never he never disappoints i mean the next day it's something so much worse and there's Another also powerless think- too about you know the tax stuff is like some people just don't care yeah and i think what's what's worse about the political situation is not just that we have essentially an authoritarian figure who wants to turn this into an authoritarian state at at the helm. This is a person who has persuaded, you know, a good 30% of our compatriots Mm -hmm. um, that he is a good leader. And it's not just the elections fatigue itself. It's also the strain on personal relationships. I will bet that every single one of your listeners knows somebody who supports Trump that they Mm -hmm care about um, or yes. previously cared about or can't decide if they still care about <laughs> is, you know I've spoken to so many people um, you know over the past four years but particularly in the last several months who have cut off ties that were mm-hmm. fraying and you know the past several weeks were the last straw they're like I cut and these are I'm not talking like I don't want to talk to my old co-worker anymore I'm saying no. like I won't talk to my father anymore that's right that's right um, you know there's there's these relationship breakdowns that are occurring because of the difference in literally reality. I mean, it's, you know, a completely different view of what reality is. 
And you know what I'm hearing, um, and this is exactly what we don't need now in a pandemic, is people, including myself, are feeling really alienated in that, like, I'm an American, and um, that means something, and I don't recognize the person down the street. It's not like, you know, I'm a Democrat, you're a Republican. Yeah, I don't know. We have some different thoughts on things. It's like, I don't even get it. I am so, we are in such different orbits. And to feel that alienated from, as you say, a third of our country, I think has a, a tremendous impact on our mental health. Definitely. I think it's it goes back a little bit to that compassion, empathy fatigue, because there's also the outrage fatigue. And the thing is, there were, I, I tend to be fairly progressive politically anyway, so there are past Republican presidents that I wasn't exactly thrilled with, but I had very close friends who supported them and mm -hmm. we could hang out and have coffee. And there was, you know, we, we might disagree on this issue or that issue, but we still shared certain core values mm -hmm. and those values, we expressed them differently or we ordered and prioritized them differently, but we still felt as though each of us had a moral compass with mm -hmm. this president. I can't think of any way you can justify supporting this president and believe that your moral compass is intact. And when you're talking to someone where you can't see that they have a functioning moral compass, how do you start having that conversation? You can't even trust that person as someone who believes in basic human rights and dignity. And if, mm -hmm. if, they, if that's their starting place, I don't know where you go with that. And I think I mean, that's part of it for me. Is I don't know what kind of person you are if you I, support that. Right, right. That's the alienation and and this this feeling of I we're not sharing the same reality. Yeah. Talk about sort of basic, you know, kind of um, groundedness as a human. You know, you go about your day, and I think most of us assume that you know we have some we we don't are not the same, but we have some commonalities. We can recognize the humanity in each other. As you said, you know, you weren't a fan of some of the Republican um, uh, presidents in the past, but, you know, it wasn't like they weren't deal breakers, their behavior, right. you know. So that's the thing that I find, you know, my clients are talking about. How do I live in a world where I, my neighbor has a Trump sign? I don't need, I, I, I don't know what I can if I can be the person I like to be, which is a friendly neighbor. I don't know if I yeah. can muster it. I've never had such a visceral response to political signs as I've had right now. If I, if I'm, well, there's not many places I drive these days, but if for some reason mm -hmm. I'm in my car and I'm driving somewhere, sometimes I drive just to show that I can still drive. Um, <laughs> if I, you know, drive somewhere and I see a Trump bumper sticker or a Trump sign, mm. I, to me, it's like a signal that that person is, I, I don't even know how to relate to that person as a human being. Like we have so little in common just about what we think of, you know, basic humanity. Right. I can't, I don't, I just don't even know where to start with it. And I feel the same way. And, you know, it, it really hits me, as you said, viscerally, particularly if they have big flags. You know, I try to get into, like, everybody wants to be safe. Everyone wants to be loved. And, I, you know, I, I hope that I understand some of the unconscious processes. You know, as a therapist, I hope that I, I can understand that. But 
it's that's all out the window. I just, you know, I can barely look at them. And what's happening? And I, I, I wonder if you've come across any literature on this as therapists. We have clients who are pro-Trumpers who we're yeah. who we're speaking to, and it is unprecedented. And I have to talk to my colleagues about you know these are people. I have one person in particular I've worked with for months and months. I'm very fond of her. We talk. We you know it's now telehealth twice a month. I know I'm helping her. She needs my help. And then she came out the other day talking about. Um, that she's throwing a, a Trump um, support party or something. And I literally had to get some help from a colleague because it's there was what we call like an empathic break. I just, I, yeah. I, I was so taken aback and uh, it was very, very difficult. I can say that, no, I, I would not, I have not been trained as a therapist. So the last thing I need to be doing is offering advice to you on your own job. I'm looking for advice, Tara, so go ahead. I'm open to it. I'm always cautious about that. But I will say, having looked at the research on social psychology, um, there's a a couple of different things going on. There's the cognitive dissonance. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's when you feel as though you've lost agency, you have to take control of agency however you can. You want to assert more control or you gravitate toward things that give you a sense of control and the way that people do that varies. Um, I think that one, this this is going to sound horrible, but one way to think about that, I don't know if you've ever had clients who are um, people who are convicted felons of violent crimes or maybe someone who has been a domestic, you know, he, he, he or she has committed domestic abuse against other people. And you, what you usually find when you're, if you talk to those people, and I, I've experienced this as a journalist. A journalist obviously is not a therapist, but in some ways our job is very similar because what mm-hmm. I do is I call, I mean, just last week I called three people living with multiple myeloma and asked them, when were you diagnosed? How did that feel? Mm-hmm. What, you know, what happened yes. next? I mean, yes. there's a lot of there's a lot of similarities in, in our work. And I have interviewed people who have committed crimes or have done really heinous things. And what you find when you dig down or you spend time talking to them is they have experienced pain in their lives at some point. Mm-hmm. And either they were victims of abuse themselves or they were never taught empathy because they grew up in a loveless home or, mm-hmm. or they grew up in 15 different homes. Yes. And I think when we are talking to people who are Trump supporters, I'm not saying that they all have that history necessarily, but there is some kind of pain or something missing that is causing them to just grasp and, and mm-hmm. cling to him. And I think that's where you have to look for their humanity. Um, it doesn't excuse the pain that they are supporting that's being visited on other people um but in terms of you're never going you you know that you know you always get more flies with honey than vinegar right so you know that shaming someone shame doesn't work only empathy works and the best that you can do is continue to help that person on a therapeutic journey Mm -hmm. toward understanding themselves because if you don't understand yourself and have compassion for yourself you can't have compassion or empathy for other people so I think it's a hope game I think you just have to hope that your ability to show that person compassion and help Mm -hmm. them discover empathy 
will down the road enable them to see what they were supporting and you know change accordingly all you can do is hope what what else can you do that's Um, right and i think that's a really lovely way to to think about it the problem is we'll get back to the um the the surge right yeah it burns you out (laughs) it's exhausting Right. Um, it's harder, think, harder work than it typically would be. It is. It is. And mm-hmm. I think that's where you, I mean, one thing we haven't talked about yet, um, we've talked about the isolation, but um, we haven't talked so much about support systems. And that's one of the biggest things that you, mm-hmm. relationships are not just a nice thing for people to have. They are essential to our biology. Yes. We are, you know, we are like bees. We are not like lizards in the desert who only tip, you know, we, we stumble across another lizard. Oh, hi, mate, and then go on our merry way and never see them again. We need we're our mammals. hives. Yeah, yeah we're ma- we need our We need our hives. And if we don't have that, we can't function properly. And so I think that's where you have to lean on other people. And I have found that reaching out to other people to see how they're doing, that does not use up my energy it can actually energize me in certain circumstances now if it's someone that is leaning on me excessively and I, I'm getting sick of hearing them tell me everything that's going on that's a little <laughs> bit different um, but one way to assert our agency is when you can't control things that are going on in your life you try to help others in fact I saw this interesting article the other day um, I have this pet peeve on social media where and I'm sure your listeners, if they're on social media, they can probably relate to this, where you go on there and you, you actually do ask for something. You say, you know, does anyone have recommendations for shorts that reach my knees? <laughs> and you get people telling you, you shouldn't wear shorts, you should wear culottes. You know, you really look good in a skirt. Oh, here's uh, some shorts that you can get from, you know, China that cost $17,000. <laughs> All I asked for were cotton shorts at the knees that I could get, in the, you know. And you get all this, you know, random advice from people telling you things. And, and then you get the people on there saying, oh, well, you shouldn't buy any shirt, shirts from this company because mm. they do that, you know. And that's not what you asked for. And the article I read was talking about why people do that. And the basic reason people do that is that they don't feel like they have control over certain things in their lives. And so the way that they can assert agency and feel like they have some kind of agency and power is to do it for others. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. in a way, it may, I, when I read it, I was like, that makes so much sense. It actually enabled me to be less pissed off at people when they do that to me. <laughs> um, but it's true that helping people can do that for you. And so, relying on, you know, support networks and finding your tribes and mm-hmm. finding support in different ways, even if it's through a, you know, computer screen, um, I think that's a really important thing to recognize as being important and that, in your case, talking with these clients, you said that you had to talk to other therapists. I mm-hmm. think finding other people to talk to in that situation, if you're an aid worker, um, you need to sit and talk with other aid workers about it. You know, you need to be able to, again, acknowledge that you're not alone in what you're experiencing. Yeah, that's so crucial. And thank you for uh, bringing that up because I do want to leave our listeners with some, you know, actionable <laughs> ideas rather than just, yeah, it really is as bad as I thought. Um, and <laughs> I think I'll go back to bed you know now. Funny? You know what's funny is that um, the original title, for, I've had people tell me like, wow, your article's headline is really negative. And I said, oh, you should have seen it before. <laughs> the headline is, your surge capacity is um, depleted. It's why you feel awful. And my original 
original headline was something like, um, yes, everything is awful and you feel awful and we all feel awful too, or something <laughs> like that. And I was like, they actually made it better. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's really, that's great. Hello, Zesties. I want to tell you about one of my all-time favorite exercise and stress reduction tools, which I am really relying on during this quarantine, but I've sung its praises for years. The benefits are seemingly endless. Uh, it's great for toning and strengthening muscles. It improves your lymph system, your metabolism. It helps with joint pain and balance, and it's even used by NASA astronauts because it's such an efficient way to exercise. And if you're older or you're worried about your balance, you can order a stabilizer bar to hang on to. I'm talking about my NEDAC Rebounder mini trampoline. I put on my music and I have my own dance party. Because for me, exercise needs to be fun and invigorating. Otherwise, I don't want to do it. Now is not the time for the philosophy of no pain, no gain, because we're in enough pain. This is a way to feel good and energized and have fun. It really does help mood as well. And I like that NEDAC is made in the USA and it is really solid. I've had mine for 15 years and it's still in great shape. The NEDAC Rebounder will help us get through this quarantine in better shape mentally and physically. And there's also a model that folds up if space is an issue. One of my clients puts it on her driveway and uses it while she's watching her kids during the quarantine. Anyway, I can't recommend NEDAC Rebounders enough. They are a worthwhile investment in your health and overwhelm overall well-being especially now if you are interested in a mini trampoline please don't buy a cheap one those can be actually dangerous and it is really worth uh, investing in a good quality one and right now if you use the coupon code just for zestful aging listeners the code is zestful they are going to include a free cover for you so go to needac.com it's n-e-e-d-a-k.com and if you have any questions you can contact me at zestfulaging.com i really am their biggest fan so um, what else can we leave our listeners with now that they're naming this uh, multi-level trauma and grief? So we talked about the importance of social connection, that it is really like the air we breathe, whether it's through a Facebook group or whatever, um, you know, texting, whatever, you know, can help us feel connected to our fellow tribes people what else is helpful um we talked in the uh, the article mentions things that build up a, a resilience bank account and this is mm -hmm. just this lovely idea that michael maddows um the other expert that i the third of the university of minnesota they were all from the university of minnesota surprisingly um who mentioned he talks about building up your resilience bank account which are all these things that they're the the things that that help build resilience and they include 
include things like good nutrition, like having mm -hmm. a, you know, having a good diet. You feel better when you're eating the stuff that you need, but we probably, this is, you know, I, <laughs> my diet has not improved during this pandemic. Let's mm -hmm. just say that. Um, exercise. We know that exercise produces endorphins and it, it, you know, helps our body. And of course, again, this is the last time that we feel motivated to do exercise. So mm -hmm. there's this inherent contradiction that the very things that could help us the most, the things that we feel least motivated to do, um, and which is why you want to build them into routines. And he talks about, um, you know, say there's other ones that are easy expressing gratitude where I mentioned, mm -hmm. you know, looking for things that are good that are happening, yes. getting good sleep, yes. um, meditation and mindfulness. Um, mm -hmm. I think that looking at those different areas and finding little ways to do things, don't worry about whether or not you're getting in 30 minutes of rigorous mm -hmm. cardiovascular exercise each That's day. Right. Just say, can I do 10 minutes today? You know, mm -hmm. can I, if you're not getting any exercise, can I just take a walk for 10 minutes or, mm -hmm. or something, you know? Um, so I think that's the most important thing that people can be doing in addition to reaching out to others for connection and naming what's happening, not trying to pretend like it doesn't exist, is looking for ways to start routines in that resilience bank account. And then also looking for activities that make us, that, that fulfill us. Um, Michael talked a lot about this fact that the brain experiences the world in two ways, um, planning things for the future and doing things in the here and now. And if you can find activities that involve both of those, I'm going to do painting and that involves planning what my final painting will look like, but then there's the process of the painting along the way. Um, gardening, cooking, there's, there's all these different sort of creation type activities that tap into both the planning element and the doing element and if you can find things like that to do and it, they, they can be really trivial um one of the things that he did was replace all of the light bulbs in his house I mean, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know but it was you know it was like you have this feeling of accomplishment i mean you mm, you adjust your expectations you know you you don't yes. worry you know what's what's a, what's accomplishing something huge isn't necessarily what it used to be but celebrate what you can do that's i think that's so important and such a lovely um, piece of advice and especially in terms of the exercise and like five minutes is really, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot more helpful than no minutes. And right. so if you can bring some self-compassion in and like, yeah, well, if the world wasn't upside down, I could do a half an hour power walk, but we are in the middle of a pandemic and five minutes is going to have to be good enough. So there's right. adjustment. And also I think some coaching of, of ourselves to say, listen, you know, you're doing is is the best that you can. Yeah, I, I think that's we're all doing the best that we can, and I think that's true across the board. No matter who, even who we're voting for, which is hard mm -hmm. to accept, but I think we're all doing the best that we can in different ways, um, and that has to be recognized as such. Yeah. That's, I think that's so important. And I'm going to link your article in the show notes because it was, and I love how you really kind of came out like, this is, this is my life. This is what's happening here. Yeah. Um, which is unusual and, for a journalist. That's not our normal. <laughs> I, I really, I mean, so effective. Yeah. Well, I told people that, you know, I, I joked with my husband about the, the first line, you know, it was the end of the world and was, we knew it and I felt fine because yeah. obviously that, yeah. that was fun. You know, I grew up in the, in the eighties and nineties. And so, you know, REM was, yeah, but um, you know, I, 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 I was not lost on me. Yeah, and I, well, I joked with friends. I was like, you know, the very second sentence in this thing outs me as someone who sees a psychiatrist. 
that's right. not the kind of article I'm used to writing. I'm not, I, not just a therapist, yes. but an actual psychiatrist. <laughs> but I thought that that was so effective. And I think that's why my clients really loved it. Because it's like, this person is real. They struggle. You know, we all struggle. And the truth of the matter is, if you watch any kind of TV, most of the ads I'm seeing are for psych meds. I mean, you know, yeah. people are, it is the most anxious and dep- we are the most anxious and depressed cohort that has ever walked the face of the earth. The suicide rate is is like, and you may know the exact numbers, but. I don't know the exact like, numbers right now, but I'm, I'm honestly kind of afraid to look at them. It's yeah, it's, it, and um, some of that is, you know, tied to social media. It's it's a public epidemic. I mean, it's, it's just frightening. So, you know, you can pretend that you don't (laughs) feel, you know, vulnerable and, and need to get some services, but you know, uh, everyone I know is right along with you. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, Tara, I so appreciate you coming on today. I really, I I love your perspective. It's so down to earth and so about, you know, this is, this is what it feels like. It's real. So validating for people to know that it's not just them and they're not quite handling things, you know, as well as their neighbors. Um, So I really appreciate that. Where can people find out more about you and your work? Um, well, for, I have a website, which has not been updated in a very long time. It's actually several <laughs> years old. Um, but the best places to find me are probably on Twitter. And at my, I, I'm a contributor for Forbes. So on Twitter, it's just my handle is T-A-R-A-H-A-E-L-L-E, just my full name. Mm-hmm. And um, on Forbes, I'm a contributor. So the people can check me out there. Um, and if I, just to throw in some extra plugs here, if you're a parent out there, I have a parenting book that I co-authored with another science journalist called The Informed Parent, which is a an, an anti-advice book. We don't give advice. We just tell you the science, and you decide what you're going to do with it. Um, ah. and, and one last thing, I have another book that was actually written more for teens and young adults, um, but I think people of all ages would appreciate it, especially right now, is called an Vaccination Investigation. It's on the science mm-hmm. and history of vaccines, and now that we're paying such close attention to the development of the coronavirus vaccine, Mm -hmm. it's a great resource for understanding how vaccines are made and and how safety is tested and the history of vaccines and how we got to this place. And and they could also watch that on your TED Talk because you really lay that out. I forgot about that. (laughs) (laughs) You know you've arrived when you forget about your TED Talk. (laughs) That's just a secondary. Oh, yeah. Oh, that little thing? My husband's going to, he's going to make fun of me for that. That's <laughs> he, great. he jokes with me all the time. He calls me um, internet famous. He says it gets to my head. Oh, I love that. <laughs> that's great. That is, uh, that's wonderful. Well, I really did appreciate your article and I appreciate all that you're bringing to this discussion. I think we'll both be uh, holding our breath until November. And um, thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was fun. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. 
Our lives are upside down, and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And Too Much Stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. Up. We give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long, exploratory, you know, super in-depth, uh, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest. <music>